0: Good morning, Jim. Do you know what time it is?
1: Um, 11 o'clock?
0: It's almost the best time of the year when we get to eat and eat and eat
1: yeah, but my pa- but, Yeah, but that's, my pants say that's not the best time of the year.
0: Then you buy stretchy pants.
1: Oh, yeah. I've not gotten into the stretchy pants trend you, yet. You
0: need to get the stretchy
1: pants. I'm they help
0: you with Thanksgiving.
1: I'm not really a big Thanksgiving guy because there's too much turkey.
0: We don't actually eat turkey at Thanksgiving. We eat ham. But everybody else eats turkey. Ah,
1: Now that's my style right there. Let's eat the ham and not the turkeys for Thanksgiving. That's right.
0: We get the big ham for Thanksgiving, but everybody else gets the big turkeys.
1: That is true. Yeah. Hi, I'm Dr. Jim Lowe, and welcome to The Round Bar.
0: So I feel like we should talk about turkeys. Because okay, we're we can talk probably about. the oddballs out here.
1: That's probably true. So what do we to talk about turkeys?
0: Well, okay, so I was thinking about this. you know, Thanksgiving is, I don't know, two weeks away from now. So I would like to know, when did my turkey when, when how far in advance did they have to start, you know, planning for Thanksgiving for everybody to eat these turkeys?
1: Last Thanksgiving.
0: They started last Thanksgiving.
1: Well, not really, but right. So when we think about the food supply chain, whether that's turkeys or ham or anything else, right? We don't we consume things not on a regular basis, right? But we tend to raise things on a regular basis. So we produce kind of turkeys all year long, and we produce hams all year long, but we don't need those same products all year long. So when we think about, I know I'm particularly well versed in the turkey industry, right? But it takes, you know, six ish months to raise a turkey. Okay. And so um
0: how big will that turkey be in six ish months? Is that for like an everyday Thursday night dinner or is that for a Thanksgiving turkey?
1: Well that yeah, it depends right so we tend to sell so there's really small birds but they they don't sell very many of those right so those kind of really lightweight birds but most of those are 20ish pound birds right so it depends if they're hens or toms and so toms are bigger than hens and you know they grow them out and they they try to hit that product mix because when we think about it in the grocery store right some people want A 25 pound turkey and some people want an 18 pound turkey and so that's a bit of a different growth time it's not a huge amount of growth difference right but it's a bit of a different growth time so if you look at what we have for turkeys in the store we don't just put turkeys on feed to harvest for the thanksgiving market
0: okay that makes sense
1: i mean we they do that they place more turkeys then but Turkey turkey hens lay eggs all year long, and so they, you know, right, well, we got to use those eggs, and they don't set all of them, and they do differentially set, but we produce turkey all year long. So there's a lot of uses for turkey, right? We put it in turkey sandwiches and ground turkey and yada, yada, and the big turkey legs at the state fair. Mm-hmm. So They're in delicious. The, so in the summer, we need a lot of turkey legs, and we use those from breast meat, right? And we need more whole turkeys in the fall, and so we have that mix, but we also store a lot of turkey. so. When we think about any of these products, we use a freezer a lot. So you go to the store and you buy a frozen turkey. That turkey may not have been harvested two days ago. That turkey was probably – could have been harvested six or seven months ago and put in cold storage and freezing. Then we pull that out to eat at Christmas, right, or eat at Thanksgiving or whatever. So that that that's kind of how we flex that supply chain coming in. And then uh, people want fresh turkey. I mean, right, that's a big thing. Those tend to be a slightly smaller bird. But those are harvested really, really close to Thanksgiving because a fresh bird doesn't keep that long, right? We've got a week or something, right? Okay, we got to keep him cold, but we don't, and we can't just lay him around. So we've got to harvest those. And that's why those are a lot more expensive because I've got to pull that bird to the market at the last minute. So that's got to be planned and set around. And at a frozen bird, those birds are cheaper because we can produce those kind of all year long and put those in the freezer and pull them out when we need them which is what we do. And the same thing happens in the ham market. So your family's going to eat hams. And the ham discussion is it's really interesting. So we have different hams during different times of the year. Now we have ham – most of the ham today is boned out. So we take the back leg off and we bone it to make my ham sandwich at lunch. But the other hams we make – so at Christmas we need a slightly smaller ham than what we have at Easter – So the U.S. market, right? So we use a smaller ham at Christmas, and I think the general belief is is that at Christmas we have another meat. So we have turkey and ham at Christmas meal. Yeah. So I don't want a giant ham. And at Easter I'm only going to have ham, so I want a bigger ham, even if it's the same set of people coming to the the dinner table. So, again, you know, we just don't make 18-pound hams at Christmas. We make 18-pound hams all year long, and we make 22-pound hams all year long. And so we've got to put those products in storage and pull them back out of storage so that we can differentiate that into the market because, again, the consumer wants different things during the time of the year. So it's, it's a really complicated dance, and it seems simple. Okay, I raise turkey, I harvest turkey, I put turkey on table. And if that's a fresh turkey, that's a pretty simple process. Or, you know, if I go to my local store and I want to buy a local turkey, that's really what happens. Okay, we put the turkey on feed and, you know, right? I can speed up and I can slow the turkey down and, you know, depending on how much I feed them, I can limit feed or I can full feed. Okay, well, if I'm buying them from the local store, it's a local bird and they harvest that bird. Okay, that's kind of how that little supply chain works. But when we think about that, that's really hard to do to feed society because that level of timing and that level of timing, right, it just doesn't work. What do we – if I'm only raising turkeys to harvest at Thanksgiving – what do i do the rest of the year and so the turkey plant needs to work all year long to make that cost that's why the world that's why we have super efficient food production and so i've got to produce turkeys all year long and so it's a really complicated intricate dance of raising the turkey is just the start of that supply chain and the interesting bits of that supply chain are after that turkey gets harvested and how do we get it from how do we get it from from walking around gobbling to on your dinner table and that's a fancy intricate dance that's it's pretty pretty fun to look at
0: what um what size turkey do most people need for thanksgiving is it different or is it like we're gonna grow 22 pound turkeys for thanksgiving because you talked about how the ham sizes are kind of different between christmas and easter is that also true uh, we're not for supposed to talk about
1: things i have no idea what i'm talking about and this might be that category but um yeah, we, we think about it, right? I think people tend to buy turkeys depending on how many people are gonna be at the at dinner. Um people want leftovers, right? Yada, yada, yada. But so there is a mix of product size we need in that marketplace at the end of the day. And and thinking about that and how do you segregate that? And that's the interesting part because that's really where retail has to understand their customer. And so New York City might be different than central Illinois. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm making this up. But right. if you think about that, even if I'm a retailer, if I'm Kroger and I have stores across – I have stores from coast to coast, what I need in Champaign, Illinois might be different than what I need in Chicago, might be what I need in Des Moines, might be different than what I need in California under their Ralph's brand. And so – understanding that level of sophistication, that's a really fascinating part of the food chain to me, that they understand not only what's purchased in the store, but who's purchasing that and how do we incent that mix together, right? I mean, I've been fascinated, I've been in the grocery or Walmart-ish type places here, you know, once or twice in the last three weeks. And that all the Thanksgiving stuff was out. Yeah. And there were dinner rolls out. Yes. And you're like, who's buying? This was maybe three weeks ago, two weeks ago. And I'm like, who is buying a dinner roll? Me. <laughs> For Thanksgiving, that sucker will be stale.
0: No. I buy the frozen dinner rolls. And you. Ha- what I've learned is you have to buy them in advance because they sell out. Now, we buy the special beef house rolls from the beef house restaurant.
1: No, no. no these were generic. Square flat, oh,
0: they were already baked, type already baked, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, no,
1: the ones that come with the paper tray that you know, if you put in the oven, they burn. Like, that's that was famous growing up stories. When we go to family, we had an aunt that would, doesn't matter how much you paid attention, like, it was the the curse of Thanksgiving. The burnt, the The burnt dinner rolls, the burnt dinner rolls. I laugh at them every time, but um. But as you look at that, right, so why are they out three weeks ahead of time? Well, okay, people are in the mood. They're starting to incent, and so how do we put those things together? So answering that question of what turkey mixes do we need, that's a really that's a hyper-local decision even at a store. Hmm. And so companies like Walmart would understand that the that the Walmart on the east side of Urbana and the Walmart in Savoy and the Walmart in the north side of Prospect, so our three Walmarts locally right. here in, in our little community where we're a little over 100,000, right? I mean, 150,000 or something here in this. A 100,000 people in the county. We have three Walmarts, and yet they would have a different product mix depending on where they're at. And I think Meyer does the same thing with our two stores. And certainly as you go to different bits, and if you look at Hy-Vee, the mix of product at Hy-Vee across to Iowa is different depending on what community they're in. And so that really understanding of retail, the retailer's understanding, listen, I wanna, I'm going to sell this product, and they don't view it as a turkey. They view it as a skew, right? It's like a product number. Okay. It doesn't matter if it's toothpaste or a turkey. I'm selling a product. And so what is the mix of those products that my customers want to buy today? And so as we've gotten more sophisticated in our in our food supply, retailers are getting better understanding, hey, what, do, what does my customer want to purchase to be your specific question, do they want an 18-pound turkey or a 20-pound turkey or a 22-pound turkey? And what's right. the mix of those things that I need to have? Light, heavies, and mediums or whatever those numbers are, right? And then how do I supply those at the right time for the right bit, And how do I put complementary things around that to get people to purchase? Why are dinner rolls out? Well, clearly, people are thinking about it and they'll buy them and they'll turn around and buy them again for Thanksgiving because yes. four weeks later they are going to
0: eat them by then.
1: Right. So – it's that mix of the supply chain that's really fascinating. And we think about where value is created. That's really where value gets created in the supply chain is that understanding of saying, what does Crystal want to buy? And how do I make sure she we have it so she can buy it? And I don't have an outage and I don't have, and it's, you know, we think about price, but it's really, is it available? Is the first question. And so what do you want to buy? And can I have that available? That's the job of a merchant. And so that becomes complicated all the way back down the supply chain. And we tend to think of it from the live side and say, oh, well, i got to make this kind of pig or this kind of calf or this kind of turkey. But what we don't do really well today is adapt our supply to what the customer wants, what our retailer retailer customer wants or needs. And so we kind of make it and then sort it and hope we have the right number of things so that we can sell it.
0: That makes sense. So what does – what does that supply look like? You know, if we're thinking about the turkey, how do they get from egg to the freezer? Is that a very straightforward linear process, or is there some like back and forth? Um...
1: Oh, it's as linear as linear gets. Okay. So, lay egg. Egg hatches. Yeah. Hatchling is 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 raised in a in a barn. Okay. Um. And then at, at some point they're moved out of that barn into a grower barn.
0: Is that on the like the same farm or are they could going be could from be this could be the same. Could be
1: the same farm. I think a lot of times it's the same farm, but it okay. could be another farm. Uh, so I don't know, they're uh, some medium, I don't know exactly what the weight of the boogers are, is right, but they go they, they go in these these hatch barns where they go in and they grow those birds. And that's different than chickens, because in chickens we take a chick and we put it in a broiler house and it stays there its entire life. Oh, it's, it's literally once attached, it goes in there and it stays. And because turkeys need a lot more space, they just use two buildings for that to happen conventionally. Okay. So they go in, then they grow, and then they go to the harvest plant, harvested, chilled. And then that's an intricate dance of what happens and how do you segregate that. And okay, these birds are too heavy for the live, the whole bird market. And so we're going to bone those birds out. We'll make turkey breast out of those, or we'll make... Uh, ground turkey out of those, or what? It, right? I mean, there's this whole segmentation. So we think about, oh, turkey goes in front door, whole turkey comes out back, and that's not really what happens. Okay. So we raise this bird, litter type barn, harvest him, and then then the sophistication begins, for lack of a better word. So we segment that product by saying, what do we need? Where do we need it? What are the orders by our retailers, and how do we sort that product to make it happen? So. Sometimes those are whole birds. Sometimes those are boned out birds. Sometimes that's ground. Mm-hmm. And what are we doing with the bone out? Are we putting that in bags to make turkey for lunch meat? Are we selling whole turkey breast? Or are we selling out literally a whole breast, right, with the bone still in it without the legs and the thighs on it in the back? And so that sophistication and that happens based upon what the orders are from retail. So I have ah. orders for X, Y, and Z today. Because think about all the ways you can buy turkey in a grocery store. Let's say how many of the ways I can buy turkey breast in a grocery store. Right. I can buy turkey breast as a whole turkey. I can buy turkey breast just as turkey breast, just muscle, right? Uncooked, yeah. raw turkey breast. Right. I can buy turkey breast and lunch meat. I can buy turkey breast cooked in a meal at the counter today in a ready-to-eat take-home meal. Um. That's probably the biggest ways, right? I mean, there's all those permutations on that. But, right, one particular piece of muscle can get sold in many, many ways. And then if you think about, oh, I'm thinking about lunch meat, well, there's how many brands of lunch meat? And do I want a whole breast lunch meat or do I want pressed lunch meat where I take multiple breasts and put them together like you would ham and slice that off, right? That tends to be lower cost, but people want that. Right. And so it's this sophistication of how we take a bird, and make food out of that. That's that's fascinating to me. And the same thing happens with a ham, right? Okay, how do we sell the ham? I mean, the turkey breast and the ham are not that different, right? We've got 19 ways to Sunday. How we're going to sell that? I can smoke it. I can blah, blah, blah. And so that sophistication is – is it's if we make a car, it's an assembly process. I bring a whole bunch of parts yes. in and out comes a car. In the meat business, we take a – Bird, in this case, and out comes not one product, but hundreds of different products. And the permutations on a visual, individual, it's not just that that individual bird ends up in 19 different products. It's that it can end up in all the permutations of all that individual muscle as we disassemble that carcass. And that's that's how value is created. That's so we meet customers, we have all this variety. I just can't go to the store and buy a whole turkey today. I can go buy Turkey breast in what, four, five, six, eight, twenty different permutations, flavored, you know, blah, blah, blah.
0: Are there any disruptions in that supply chain based around like the shipping costs? Is that um is that a pain point at this point?
1: a yeah, five dollar diesel or five and a half dollar diesel is a big pain point. I think if we look at grocery inflation, right? We know what is it, seven or eight cents worth of wheat and a loaf of bread. But the loaf of bread has gone up more than, I mean, wheat yeah. prices up 20%. So, yeah. okay, so if it went from $0.08 cents to $0.10, cents, the loaf of bread's up more than $0.02. Cents. And I think a lot of that is, you know, we've got labor to make the bread. There's a lot of transportation costs in a loaf of bread. And I think if we look at Thanksgiving, yes, transportation cost is a big deal. The other big driver really this year, right, we've had animal health event. We've had a high-path high avian influenza. Mm-hmm. And so I think I saw some numbers 50 million birds today that have had to be destroyed because of HyPath AI in the United States. And that's ongoing. We had it in 2015, and it went on about four or five months, and it got quashed. And what happens with HyPath AI is it's waterfowl, it's wild birds that introduce it into turkey populations or into chicken populations. And so the wild birds continue to introduce it. Uh, this year, which has gone on a lot longer, but we're continuing to have. So it's infected a lot of turkeys in the Mississippi flyway. Think Iowa, Minnesota. Okay. And that's a huge turkey production area for the United States. Uh, quite a few raised North Carolina in the South where we raise chickens, but we raise a lot of turkeys in the upper Midwest and that's right in the heart of the waterfowl flyway. And so as those animals have moved, they've continued to introduce influenza into those populations. And so, know exactly the number of of turkeys we've lost but there's been a lot of turkey flux loss so part of the turkey cost inflation is we've cut supply this year because of of ai so we've got or even influenza we've got challenges right around transportation costs right we got labor cost challenges right we know labor cost has gone up everywhere um we got feed cost up, so it's more expensive. Corn cost is up, mm-hmm. so it's more expensive to raise the turkey. Feed costs are directly related. And then we've got this whole, hey, there aren't as many of them around. Uh, and so supply and demand's a little whack. So I don't know what turkey prices are up this year, but you'd certainly would project that it's, you know, the turkey meal is going to be expensive. Now, interesting, if you look at numerous of the grocery stores in the last two or three weeks in the news have announced that, yeah, we're gonna roll prices back. So so are
0: they eating that cost? Absolutely, they're
1: eating that cost. And that's the loss leader idea. And they're saying, listen, we're willing to sell you turkeys at no profit or at a loss or willing to sell you potatoes or whatever. They've they've got a list of things, right? These these are core ingredients for Thanksgiving dinner. And so we're going to sell those to you at 2019 prices. And part of that is, is out of the goodness of their heart that they don't want people to be hungry or not have Thanksgiving meal. But quite frankly, that's not their game. Their game is hey, I'm going to reduce the price of that because I think when you come in the store, you're going to buy some other things.
0: Which is probably true. At least when I go in the store,
1: it's true for all I of us. I may
0: have a list, but I'm buying a lot more that just
1: yeah, catches if you my in, eye. Yeah, you can go I'm in hungry. Grew. You run in to grab oh, this yes. and you're hungry. And then, yeah. And so that's this idea of loss leader has always been a thing in grocery, right? I mean, that's how you get people in the store. That's way of, you, you know, you, you you get this idea that. They're using that Thanksgiving meal this year as a loss leader to say, how do we get people in the store and how do we do it? I think it's going to be interesting to watch what happens to grocery prices over time. I don't see any reason that those things are going to come down. Yeah. All the macros.
0: They can charge more. People are still buying it.
1: Well, and diesel isn't coming down. Grain price isn't coming. I don't realize it's not a huge component in grocery prices, but diesel and labor are not going to get cheaper anytime soon, and those are big components of grocery prices. And so, uh, unfortunately, I think we're probably in for a relatively long slug of of high food prices because of kind of these underlying things that drive um drive cost, which right. are not necessarily the raw ingredient. Right. What else are you having with your turkey, Crystal?
0: We're having. Well, I already said the dinner rolls. I love the dinner rolls. Um, I usually make noodles.
1: Oh.
0: Yes. And we have cheesy potatoes instead of mashed potatoes. What about you?
1: Gravy. Gravy. Gravy, Mm -hmm. yeah. And dressing. Actually, if I could just have gravy and dressing and skip the rest of it, I'd be fine. I really like dressing, and I really, really, really like gravy.
0: I think that's fair. That sounds like a fantastic Thanksgiving dinner. Do you like desserts, too? I really like the desserts, but not everybody in my family cares.
1: No, because I'm so full from the gravy and dressing that I really can't eat the dessert. And the turkey's edible if you drown it in enough gravy. If you have some turkey with your gravy, it actually is quite nice. So you just kind of make this soup of gravy and, and dressing and clog your arteries and get on with it. It's fantastic.
0: You know, I heard a trick that if you cook the turkey upside down, then it makes your breast meat more moist like all of that kind of drains into the the turkey breast. I don't know if it's true or not it's and we're not still going to eat the turkey, turkey. but <laughs> have a ham and that fixes your Thanksgiving dinner.
1: Uh, I know, but it's like tradition, and if you don't eat the turkey, we have to support the turkey guys every once a year, right? And then then we can escape that at Christmas. I mean, that's the okay. good news. We escape the turkey at Christmas now because we tolerated it at Thanksgiving.
0: You, you ate it at Thanksgiving, yeah. and you checked that box, and now you can move on. Yeah, we never, can move. Yeah, we can move on. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Unfortunately, I'm probably the one who has the anti turkey view in our family, so I don't I don't necessarily get it. I, mean, I get outvoted by a lot of people. <laughs>
0: Okay, well, enjoy your Thanksgiving turkey, and then you can move on to ham for Christmas.
1: And you enjoy your Thanksgiving ham?
0: I will, very much. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed listening, and we'd love to hear from you, too. Find us on Twitter. Our handle is at theroundbarn1. We may even share your comments on our next show. Please subscribe and tell your friends about the show. It's available on iTunes or the podcatcher of your choice. One last thing, we also offer a wide range of learning opportunities for folks who work with livestock and veterinarians too. You can learn more at online.vetmed.illinois.edu. See you soon.